0: Are we live anywhere right now? Can anybody hear me? I can hear you just
1: fine, Ryan.
0: <laughs> okay. I can hear me. I can hear you. Yeah. J-Pink's Pink. mic's still fucked. Could be. But you can't hear me. Yeah. Okay. I say <laughs> we do. Are we pushing live right now on a pre-show or anything? Or? We are. Okay. I say we open up, we do a live chat-only lawn care help desk. Jay Pink, either nod or send me a message saying, fuck <laughs> you. Or, you know sign language.
2: <laughs>
0: I go public, fuck it. If you want to, if you want to make it members only for chat, I don't know, that might make it... Yeah, you well, I'll I'll say that. You gotta be a member only of the chat. You can watch live, but you gotta be members only for chat. Okay. Mm-hmm. J Pink nodded at that like I was offering Wallace a bacon strip. He was kinda mm-hmm. like <laughs> uh-huh. Wallace would eat the fucking shit out of a bacon strip i don't know about that because uh
1: Wal- wallace and i are kindred spirits we're super picky about what we'll eat
0: <laughs> only real bacon I, yeah <laughs> how oh so if you're a patron you can't chat that's right ah. oh, shit yeah. let's go public then because yeah i don't want to fuck over the patrons and then we'll see if... And you
1: know what? Uh, I, I I give zero fucks about the uh, morons and trolls. <laughs> I don't care.
0: I'm just going to tell them to let it fly. And Pink, if you want to swipe them out, you can. Otherwise, I'm just yep. tell people to make the chat go fast enough that it gets off the screen.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, if somebody wants to do... Uh, dumb shit. Hey, let's just keep on going on the on the chat. Keep answering questions and just uh, Oh, you're all the way at the at the bottom. How'd you get there? (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) right, so we're we're rolling public right now. So we're out in the open, in the live. Everybody All can right. see us. I suppose it's the part where I should say that uh, uh, Matt's taking PTO today. He's taking paid time off. So mm-hmm. sorry, Spencer, but I approved his leave. Sorry, man. Actually, uh,
1: actually, I co-signed on it. So. It's true there sure. matt matt is home, home free so and two, uh two
0: managers signature on that that's so right. like that
1: yeah, do, yeah two managers signed off unanimously no objections or reservations
0: <laughs> actually we both told him very kindly to go fuck off and uh you <laughs> might you might have no idea so we're live on youtube right now correct yep okay So uh, first, uh, tonight's show is normally when we return, record Burn and Return. However, tonight we've had an influx of questions into us in our Discord server, uh, in our uh, email box, and we wanted to go ahead and open up the lines because, Ray, as you well Mm -hmm. know, uh, in cool season country here, it is about to be renovation season. Some people may have already put seed down, and I don't know, uh what the forecast is there in Hawaii. But here in the Midwest this week, it is supposed to be hot as shit. Uh so I oh think there Lord. are people that are kind of shitting razor blades right now, worried about grass mm-hmm. the ground, their plant best laid plans. And uh, you know, for those folks that are trying to finish off the growing season here strong with warm season, uh would really like to kind of dive in on that too. So uh lots of different oh, questions. This yeah. always is probably mm-hmm. our I'd say August, September are definitely our two busiest and most active question months. So we wanted to open up. It's going to yep. be old school. It's going to be chat only. No Collins tonight. So uh, you'll hit us up just like Matt used to do way, way back in the day. And back in before, the day, we yep. get, before we get to the questions here, Ray, before I slide up in the chat, uh-huh. I wanted to wish you a very happy, belated, by one day, birthday. Hardly.
1: Uh, you know what? It, it is still August 20th. So it is still my birthday, right? Oh, so today today you are not late. I
0: thought, okay. I thought it was No, yesterday. you're There's not
1: late, here. sir. You are not late at all. I mean, you are right on time.
0: See now, and I want to share with our loyal listeners, you know, some of the ideas that came into us of of how to celebrate because Sheila, you know, raised uh, a <laughs> pretend girlfriend from the show. Um, you know, we we were trying to inspire her to do something different, something you know, fun, little maybe a little, <laughs> you know, raunchy. So you know, first one of the first ones we pitched her was being a uh, an FSB agent, you know, and uh, you know, pretender that uh, that Putin sent Ray, you know, her was sent over to bang ray to death and that she didn't like that when she thought that was too straightforward a little too vanilla for her so mm-hmm. what we ended up deciding upon was that she was going to role play a member of the sierra club and that ray would knock <laughs> the door. He, she would try to sell him a membership and then he would and take her back into the bedroom and do a little hate snookering, and <laughs> you know really beat that up <laughs> and uh have a nice night so i think that's what happened i don't know ray if you get a knock on the door here uh with the no solicitor sign on please take that please take that you need that okay <laughs> Sheila thank you again for humoring us and uh as always ladies and gentlemen keep those ideas flowing we like to keep uh Sheila's mind wandering if you will all right <laughs> so that being said let's uh let dive into the chat here and uh you know you don't get that kind of fun inside jokish stuff with some of those other stiffs that have shows well, hardly. Right, so. I
1: mean, they're all just, uh, it's all boring. No fun. Unless of course, until it's time for them to sell you something.
0: It is. It is. Then they're,
1: then they're, then they're lively. Then they're engaged. Then they're invested. Otherwise ew, it's like watching paint dry.
0: <laughs> all right. Let's dive in to some questions here. We'll see what happens. J pink. If you can on uh on the uh the YouTube title, I don't know if you can change it without uh restarting the video, but change it to Lawn Care Help Desk. That way people mm-hmm. will find it and maybe, maybe join in here. We'll see. All right, I am going to dive into the first question from Lawn Flip, and it's asking mm-hmm. me specifically, could I recommend a good perennial ryegrass? Uh there are uh oof, Many to choose from. I would say that if you're looking for a good, widely available commercial uh, variety, or excuse me, a uh, a blend, if you will, uh, would look at Champion GQ uh, from Seed Research of Oregon. It's a fine, fine blend. Uh, performs very well in a variety of situations across the United States. Totally fine. If you're looking at specific cultivars, uh, there are some really, really good ones. Make sure you look for the ones that are gls or gray leaf spot resistant uh that's going to be really really important when selecting uh, individual cultivars so uh, i know mountain view has several really really good ones apple grand slam are ones that come to mind i don't know my uh my perennial ryegrass is right off the tip of my tongue like my other cohort ryan norwood i do know that his uh his from uh uh company.com if you f- fly over there it's not just a shameless plug either like that he does have some really really good stuff uh some actually high cure highly curated stuff and i would encourage you to go over there and take a look at those too so all good um you know just realize what you're going to get out of perennial ryegrass that you know most of the time it's going to behave itself and do well ray but there is that period what? in the early mm-hmm. early summer late spring where it's just so thick mm-hmm. and lustrous that you can't cut through it very well and i just i, I that's the time I struggle with it when it should be like banging. You just hardy mm-hmm. that quality of cut right there, but still fantastic grass, has its use. And uh, I know I'm, and we're both good friends with uh, probably the king of perennial ryegrass and Ryan Moore. So how can I argue? With
1: yeah. That? Yeah. I mean, I, I will, I will, uh, you know, take his uh, judgment on those uh, ryegrass varieties and true or false, Ryan, doesn't he kind of, put them through their paces.
0: uh very much so i mean i've been out to the property where he's he's moved to and is filming now um and seen uh, the plots and how he sets them up and everything i think it's um one there's nobody else that's doing that uh currently in that youtube space and quite honestly from a, a grower standpoint or seed vendor standpoint mm. you don't see a lot of that where they're isolating out uh, specific blends or mixtures or even individual cultivars. So I highly, I give him a lot of credit for doing what he's doing. I mean, part of it is just his nerdery and the level of, uh, detail that he puts into everything. But I think the other part Mm -hmm. too is just, uh, Hey, if there are going to be problems, let's spot them and let's, you know, parse out what's good, what's bad and what changed in between the two, uh, and go from there. So I appreciate the transparency just the same. Yeah,
1: yeah, I like I like that he's doing that too, and he tells it like it is. And if something uh, does well, he gives it a thumbs up. If it doesn't, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like thumbs down. Simple as that.
0: <laughs> I won't say who said this, but somebody sent me a message uh, that says, "Does mm-hmm. that make Nor both a grower and a shower?" I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway uh, Anyway. <laughs> Moving right along. I had to read it because it was sent to me with uh the highest level of importance. All right, Grass Thief asks. Hi, Matt. In my mm-hmm. last call into the show, we were speaking about the pH, but then we went off into a preventative actions about fungicide, and I told you I did about three or four apps of prefix. One zero zero stand correct, what I meant to say was zero zero twenty-six Phosphate apps. Just wanted to throw that out there. Thanks. So I, I think maybe what uh Grass thief is asking here is if there would be any uh well from a fungicide I'm not sure if the, if the question has to relate to phosphite apps and pH or if this has to relate to fungicide apps and the fungicidal properties of phosphate Ray, let me ask you real quick, is there any mm-hmm. effect on pH by making single and or repeated apps of phosphite or could there be
1: should be minimal should be minimal so because uh, hmm? potassium phosphite is technically phosphorus acid neutralized to near pH seven. So it shouldn't have a effect either way on, on pH. Uh, however, if grass thief is asking about the benefits of applying phosphates, mm. known benefit when applied preventatively is phosphates can help prevent pisium infection. They're very well known for doing that. However, Grass Teeth is also lucky or fortunate in that he chose wisely and he had the foresight to put in a Bermuda grass lawn. Because, Brian, I have not known Bermuda grass to be extremely susceptible to pythium. I haven't seen it.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I, I really say, haven't I, seen, I, I don't know that, I that haven't would be seen a issues. huge
3: concern.
0: Yeah. Huge concern yeah. of mine either. So, fungicide usage, uh, I think, on that, uh, on your Tahoma 31 Grass Thief, I wouldn't be so concerned. Uh, and for those of you scoring at home, Phosphite Ray is correct that does have fungicidal properties specifically against the water mold fungi, which are going to be like uh, Pythium damping off, things like that. And mm. they work in a way that is. Basically immune to resistance because they bind to catalyst sites that the uh on the host, which is the plant that the uh the pathogen needs to bind to so it can sit there and replicate so the uh phosphite actually acts as like a block right that doesn't allow those two enzymes to sit there and catalyze and uh, make a reaction and reproduce the fungi so all that to say, if you do have uhphithium problems in your lawn, phosphite's a good first defense, a fairly inexpensive first defense, although it's gone up in price exponentially here in the last two years, but still uh, better than using fungicides, which most of the fungicides, although there's some really, really expensive ones out there now that absolutely work and are fantastic, but some of the older chemistry for pythium prevention as it relates to fungicides, very high uh, uh, incidence of resistance, right? So we got to be careful using those if we don't have to. So use phosphate as your first line of defense if pythium is an issue, but if you got Bermuda grass, even in the transition zone, you're gravy, baby okay mm-hmm. let's dive Good. back in here Jay Pink is scoring at home for me and oh okay gardener if Guy ask i'm about to make trays of big blue stem grass for native low maintenance areas anyone ever grow this prairie grass um i've grown big blue stem in a mix right of uh native grasses that get sown in a meadow things like that uh i don't have a ton of information about uh, how those do I know from a herbicide standpoint uh in those low maintenance areas I think it just depends on how low maintenance you want to get are you still going to apply herbicides to prevent things like foxtail queen anne's lace milkweed things like that or are you trying to go for that uh aesthetic and that uh you know biodiversity piece right so uh when it's clean and i can say that that's kind of the effort that we took in using those mixes was to keep them clean and free of any noxious weeds for sure and then a lot of the other mm-hmm. weeds that might pop up in a meadow situation it looks fantastic um in that mix but again not sure what the what the overall or, or, uh, long term end use would be here ray any uh, any any meadow or prairie grass applications out there in Hawaii
1: boy Ryan, that is an extremely sore subject right now oh well yeah i know not in oahu so much but kind of in no kind of any valley. any st- any, any island met, Ryan, because these introduced foreign grasses basically become invasive in Hawaii, even blue stem, especially blue stem. <laughs> so, really? Yes, yes, it becomes extremely invasive, and then it becomes a fire hazard.
0: All right, so there you go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, without getting too much into current events, because even though this is burn a return, uh, we're not going to go down that wormhole. Just we're not going to go we're there. Till, yeah. We're going to wait till Ray can get good and fired up uh, and, and <laughs> become a member of the Sierra Club first. Let's just say that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Jake has emailed and asked, I've noticed the cost of life estate rising. I'm curious what my next best alternative might be. Love the show. Thanks. Wow. Uh this could go a bunch of different ways. Um here's the thing Jake is that you, it, the price has gone up considerably uh in this last, you know, 2 years or so since 2021 probably. However, I don't know that you're going to find uh anything close to the performance uh, relative to cost, right? Uh for a non-selective herbicide. And part of that has to do with the mode of action, which I'll let Ray speak on that versus some of the other uh, products that are in the market these days, but I think if you look at what you get now, it's also a use case too, right? If you are, mm-hmm. you know, spraying out a lawn and getting it prepped for seed, I don't think it can be beat. If you're spraying other areas, though, and and I'll let Ray talk about this after he answers the motive action question. So Ray, talk a little mm-hmm. bit about non-selective options that are in the market right now, how they work, and how they differ from one another.
1: Okay, like uh, you know, our Famous glyphosate operates by inhibiting an amino acid pathway within the uh, within the weeds, and that amino acid inhibition translates across an extremely wide variety of plant species. Mm -hmm. It is very or relatively non-selective. In fact, uh, glyphosate was considered a breakthrough because That was the first herbicide that I know of on the market that broadly affected a wide variety of species and at a relatively low use rate. And then next up is something that sounds similar called glufosinate.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, glufosinate operates by. Causing the plant to accumulate ammonia in its tissues. Slightly different uh, mode of action. However, here's the difference between glufosinate and glyphosate. Glufosinate's mode of action tends to stay more in the upper parts of the weed. Whereas glyphosate can be extremely systemic. In other words, It does not take very much glyphosate applied to a very large area of a weed to cause that weed to decline and fail. Whereas with glufosinate, complete and thorough coverage is necessary. Now, in the case of a lawn renovation situation, I actually don't like glufosinate. Mm, Why? I don't care. I don't care for it because glufosinate. Tends to leave behind any kind of rhizomatous or stoloniferous or deep-rooted weeds, be they broadleaf or grassy. So, for example, if somebody has a quackgrass or poor trivialis issues that they need to address during the renovation, glufosinate is not ideal for that. Mm-hmm. And then the other very common chemical herbicide for non-selective use is taekwot and
3: I don't know if I'd put that in the I, hands I, of a uh, homeowner
1: No, I, I hesitate to even mention it because uh, the other week I shared a video on the discord about what happened to somebody that put some taekwot into a, an old Gatorade bottle and then accidentally drank from it.
3: Okay. Well,
2: okay. <laughs> it's
1: nice I mean, knowing them. Yeah. Yeah. N- nice knowing him. I mean, it, is it a bad sign when the doctor who greets you at the emergency room tells you, uh, We need to know what your last wishes are.
0: There we are. 22 (laughs) minutes in and death talk box has been checked.
1: (laughs) Okay. And then (laughs) the last common herbicide that I see used for renovation purposes and non-selective purposes Mm -hmm. is something called ammonium salts of fatty acids. Mm Mm-hmm. And like a common brand name that I uh, come across is one called Burnout. And then another one that I'm real familiar with is called Sice. Sice, yep. And the way Sice works is Sice goes into the leaf tissues and basically dissolves the fatty membranes that hold those tissues together. And so you get yeah, you get the a very, cells right the cells yeah so you get a very yeah. rapid you know contact action on those weeds in fact you know when you hit something with the appropriate concentration of size, mm-hmm. you can literally see see that weed collapse and wilt within an hour it works that fast
0: oh i 100% i i totally believe that and i think that uh using that i've been used that in probably 20 years or more um specifically for that reason that you it, it would seem like you would use that over and over and over again and never get a complete kill right so it's great for yeah. burn down. there are situations where burn downs are really really important and i think that's it's where, appropriate
1: yeah it's appropriate yeah.
0: so and that's the difference chris to go back to the original point is that uh you know price and everything for what we typically use in turf uh roundup because of its uh systemic nature number 1 because of its overall cost right which again is albeit uh, getting higher but still well within reason uh mm-hmm. i think that that is something that you can't really fight versus what else is out there and the other thing too is people you know real quick on this one is people will push back and say well you know glyphosate safety cancer all all that kind of stuff and yeah there may be you know some issues there but so far all the research says otherwise but more to the point is that okay if you're not going to use that, what are you going to use? Uh, like what we just talked about, some of those burn down ones that aren't necessarily as uh, effective, right, for the long term. And secondarily, they also have uh, higher levels of toxicity, <laughs> especially for the applicator, right? And applicator? So there's, yeah. Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes on there. Okay. Chris has a follow up mm-hmm. question to this. Let me, let me go ahead and read this. So Chris says, I've got plans to spend Labor Day weekend kicking off my cool season reno in Southern Illinois planning to throw turf type tall fescue what's the best way to kill a very weedy mix to the turf i currently have so uh if this is the case chris and you're you know two weeks out basically from labor day i would make your first application just as soon as you possibly can use this heat right to your your mm-hmm. um you know and without getting into too many uh tactics and techniques and things like that but i would try to make two apps here in the next two weeks and then Um, you can even make a final one the day of sounds risky. Sounds weird, but it's absolutely true. And there's no issues whatsoever, but make your third and final app the day that you actually see. Um, Mm -hmm. and that way you can assure yourself that you've gotten as much of everything that you can killed off anything that's regenerated, come back or anything like that. in these ensuing two weeks. You'll be totally fine. It will not, will not inhibit growth or germination of your seed at all. Go for it. So three apps and I'd go at, uh, you know, like a 3% solution. So that's going to be about, uh, what Ray? Oh, uh, 3.75, uh, 3.75 and two ounces per gallon
1: per gallon per thousand square foot. And I would, I would like him to add one more wrinkle. If in fact his turf is weedy, okay. you know, his final application at the time that he seeds, mm-hmm. I want Chris to throw in, Label rate of quinclorac and label of rate of tenacity right into that spray mix and lay that Calm. down and then seed right into it because what that tenacity and that quinclorac is going to do is that is going to provide residual deterrence against the weeds that he was fighting in the turf from coming back from seed and roots because. Both tenacity and quinclorac have quite a bit of soil activity, whereas do, his turf type alfescu is to- okay. is tolerant of the, of those herbicides, so he can enjoy possibly a very drama free growing without that weed competition.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that is vastly overlooked. Is the uh, you know the, the the seed day safe herbicides right that again like uh, for example tenacity in work at rutgers you know the the reason that we use tenacity in the springtime is you know try and prevent uh, crabgrass and other summer annuals from coming on but the fall time mainly it's a its main uh, uses as a preventative for poa annual, right so uh rutgers did some work here gosh it's been 10 12 years but uh, mm-hmm. it's been their a while research yeah. mm-hmm. their research indicated about a 40 to 45 percent reduction in POA germination on tr- plots that retrieve the day of seeding, right? Leading into that with a follow-up application 28 days later. So if you're going to go out with those, again, label rates, I think it's going to be four ounces to the acre on your four uh, per acre. Yeah, And four if per you're
3: acre. using
0: uh, Drive Accelerate or cue ball or one of the liquid versions, uh, that should be a full rate. So that's uh, half a gallon per acre. And After,
1: um, 64 per acre, yeah, 64 per acre yep. about there and then or
0: one pound if you're using the old dry flowable if you if you got a one sitting Mm -hmm. around there so good luck to you sir and uh, hit us up with any more questions and uh yeah labor day weekend go time okay (laughs) let's see what's up next year lawn flip again looking to Mm -hmm. sprig to home of 31 next season any experience with the wood chipper and sod for sprigging uh, will it ruin the machine? How big of a chipper is needed? And does the soil need to be removed first? Ray, why don't you go first? And then I have uh, some some uh, new learning on this and want to share. So go ahead. Okay.
1: Uh, first of all, uh, Spencer, and by the way, Lon name is Spencer too, but this is a good Spencer because he's not out to kill Matt and he's not selling MSMA to anybody and everybody. So this is a good Spencer. First good. of all, yeah he's a he's a good guy first of all, no need to remove soil from sod and second of all, I would probably look for a wood chipper that's for example capable of eating like a like a six to twelve inch limb that should be powerful yeah. enough, yeah something mm-hmm. about there and you just go from there basically and so uh, ryan i'm dying to know what 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 is the latest findings on putting sod through a wood chipper
0: uh yeah i mean i see i think you what i would do is this is try to get in touch with your farm early and understand their harvest methods try to pick the timing as best as you can i know it's gonna be kind of hard because you're lining up you know a chipper rental you're lining up sod delivery everything like that but You want that stuff to be on the drier side, if at all possible. You don't want to be putting mud through your chipper, but I would agree with Ray that something uh, most rental yards like a Sunbelt or a United Rentals or something like that is going to have, you know, one that's capable of like a six to eight inch tree and then one to a 10 to 12 inch tree. I'd go with the 10 to 12. Give yourself a little bit of grace there because uh, it's Mm -hmm. definitely going to beat the hell out of it. Uh, so there's that and I would make sure you cleaned up real good like usually those bigger ones will have a side panel that you can take off and wash all the teeth uh, and the chipper piece uh, chipper teeth out and everything like that so make sure you wash it out real good when you're all done lastly is uh, when you're doing it with uh, the chipper one thing to make sure of is don't rev that thing all the way up you want to run that thing at like maybe like a third to a half throttle Mm -hmm. the reason being is that if you run it too fast, it just turns it all into dust. Just yep. spits out little tiny pieces. You want, you want some chunks kind of in there uh, to give yourself. Yeah. A you board. want to mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah, so keep bits. that in mind. And then just remember that uh, it's a little bit harder to control your sprig rate. So, uh, you know, we, we use the, the conversion factor of five square feet of sod equals one bushel. And if you want a saw or a sprig at about 600 to 800 bushels per acre, right? So that's going to be about 3,000 to 4,000 square feet of sod for every one acre that you sprig. And uh, if you can find like a cultipacking roller or something like that, uh, maybe even a disc to just push those sprigs in a little bit, you can go on the lower end of that rate because you're going to lose less. You're going to have less attrition. So lots more factors and details to check out. Go check out, uh, I know on the episode that we did on Thirsty Thursday with uh, Cam from Elevated Lawnscapes and with Ben from Lawn Guardian, we talked a lot about springing and details and stuff like that. Go back and watch those episodes, and uh, if you haven't, if you don't follow them on Instagram, I wanted to give those guys both a shout out. They've got the hashtag like Iron Cutter OGs or something like that. I think going right now. Mm-hmm. The lawns that they did that we talked about Ray with them back, you know, in the spring and the winter and everything like that are yes. fucking amazing, fucking oh, amazing yeah have you I'm seen i'm so proud of those guys so
1: proud of those have guys. you seen cam's father's lawn lately uh have you seen cam, ben's
0: cam, lawn lately they're both yeah I mean, i've seen uh, they're amazing oh
1: no, th- those are
0: fantastic
1: and like what cam did was what was it this was like quite the operation uh he had his father drive the truck around towing that wood chipper all over that acre lawn and Cam was just throwing sod through the chute of the chipper and just sending it, and it, it, it got done. I mean, that was just quite the operation. And, you know, yeah, it was,
0: yeah, it was something different for sure.
1: Yeah. And somebody had a question why not hydro seed? And the reason why you don't hydro is because hydro seeding. Means that you have to have seed, and what I know about Bermuda grass seed is that the Bermuda grass that comes out from seed is normally varieties that, for lack of a nicer description, belong in hay fields. Okay, it is well, not, and I, yeah, it's, it's not Seated Bermuda varieties. that I would say. Yeah, it's not the kind of Bermuda that you'd like in a lawn necessarily. It's coarser varieties of Bermuda that come out from seed, whereas Ironcutter and Tahoma, those are fine textured and very nicely colored Bermudas. That's the difference.
0: <laughs> so I, I think what he also might be talking about, what Gardner might be talking about is hydrosprigging, in which you get the sprigs from the farm and place those into the hydro mulching machine, right? And spray those. Uh, Right. That that doesn't work. That
1: can can be done, but it doesn't work very well. And here's what I remember seeing a lot of in Mm -hmm. Hawaii in the 1990s. Okay. And even to this day is the cut up sprigs would get broadcast over an area. And then those sprigs would get covered with the hydro media. I've seen that done quite a
0: bit. Well, I was just gonna say, it's like there there is this like possibility that you can choke this out. Here's here's what I think. It's like it's like over engineering a uh, a solution for a problem that doesn't exist, right? Like we know if we've got you know reasonably good irrigation, even if that's over the top, like what Cam did, which is like a homemade above ground system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can absolutely have no issues with just putting the sprigs down those weren't even crimped. I think it all you did was roll it yep just roll, rolled yep, it it
1: rolled it yeah uh-huh
0: good to go blonde flip good tech, go. Uh, uh put in the chat where you're located too i'm kind of curious of of uh you know uh what's your what your summer is going to be like when you should do this so i'd love to follow along all right let's see what's next year there's always something next. <laughs> uh, here, grassy, thinking of getting away from prodiamine this fall because of the roots, looking to go with isoxabin. anyone with any tips. I'm a little concerned on, I do have POA pop up here and there. Not much, and I'm thinking uh, that because of my prodiamine. So I think what he's saying is that it, he thinks the prodiamine is on him because he's getting some breakthrough on POA, which I would mm-hmm. expect in his climate in, in the Philadelphia, New Jersey area for sure to see some breakthrough because of it's perfect POA weather for a long, long time, almost longer than it is perfect Bermuda weather, quite honestly. So Mm -hmm. I think that's not to be, uh, unexpected, but Ray, what would you say about, you know, um, what you can surmise about, uh, transition zone, uh, pre-emergent choice.
1: Okay. I would not depend on prediamine for. Application for Poa. I wouldn't depend on it. I mean, I consider Prodiamine pretty good for goosegrass, pretty good for crabgrass, but I wouldn't depend on it as a standalone application for Poa. If I wanted to still use Prodiamine in the fall for Poa, I would have that tank mixed with Simazine and Monument, or else. I would have it tank mixed with Imazoquin, but I wouldn't want to try to use it as a standalone app for POA. And secondly, fall would actually be my time when I would rather use a low split rate of spectacle. Even as my fall pre. Yes. Yeah. I, I would use the lowest rates because. Effect of spectacle and rate of spectacle is dependent on type of grass, weed pressure, and how long you need that application to actually last. And in general with spectacle, less is more.
0: So well, let me ask you this then lowest label rates and what would be knowing grass, the infinite, you know, first frost date, there's probably like first, probably second week of October, maybe another week later. And, you know, that's when he'll probably, you know, start shutting down. I would say that he's probably completely dormant by the first full week of, of November. So given that mm-hmm. and what, you know, when would your first app be, we know lowest label rate, but when would your first app and your second app be in terms of dates and the interval in between?
1: No. And then one more time a month from now, and my label rate would be Three ounces per acre now, and then three ounces in thirty days.
0: Gotcha. Any negative yeah. effects on actively growing Bermuda grass? In Terms of what would you tell him from if he's got actively growing Bermuda grass right now? And I'm there may be
1: there, there yeah. may be a little bit of root pruning, and on okay. the Bermuda, and that is kind of why I highly advise people to really think hard about whether they should even be putting this down during the time of the year when Bermuda grass is trying to put out active growth. I mean, I normally like to use this as my fall pre not as my spring and summer pre.
0: (laughs) So then let me backstop this with this other question. I know we've had this before in a situation Mm -hmm. like that, in, in a climate where the window, the growing window is seemingly short. Are you mm-hmm. better off to go out there in the dead of winter and apply glyphosate, apply a non-selective over dormant Bermuda grass and just smoke out whatever's there from MAPOA and or other you know volunteer rye or anything like that that's, that's popped up? How would you feel from a safety margin and uh, long-term viability of the Bermuda grass in a situation like that?
1: Well, I have no problems with uh, long-term viability, but I also keep in the back of my mind how POA can also be glyphosate resistant,
0: Ryan. It can be, for sure.
1: Yeah, it can. be. It can be. And what so, a way to find out,
0: though, right? Is to go out there. Yeah. And spray what a way. Some what, your what own way, Yard. Yeah. What a way. Yeah. What a way to FAFO. And uh, how do you think I found so, out I was allergic to penicillin? Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, but seriously, my point is is to utilize a wide variety of the best tools for the job. You know, that's like the message here. Utilize a wide variety of the best tools. Uh, and glyphosate in the winter is one. Another one that I, I'm hearing good, good things about Ryan is sure in the winter over dormant. Yeah, Bermuda. Paul,
0: Paul Smith uh, mm-hmm. down there in North Carolina he swears by guard as his mm-hmm. uh his power preventative strategy he swears by it so shout out to paul the most yep. the sm- most silent outspoken person on uh, on <laughs> our uh, community <laughs> the quietest most outspoken person that's probably the best way to put it yeah he's got opinions he just you know he
2: mm-hmm. mumbles
0: through them until he starts to shout so i love him for it all right let's see what's next in i chat all right let's see here blip blop ride says if i am tank mixing quincloric and tenacity should i use mso or a regular surfactant?" uh in the i don't know this wasn't the hopefully i don't know if this was chris that asked it or not because we had email versus this if it was the original one that we were just talking about with the uh, bare ground seating no surfact needed but ray if you're going to run these together as a Uh, Tank mix, let's say, on actively growing uh, turf right now. Cooler warm season. What do you say?
1: Send it with the uh, mesolated seed oil because the mesolated seed oil makes the difference between quinclorac being mediocre and quinclorac really cleaning things up. However, you will hear people Touching pearls about how, but the Tenacity label says to use non ionic surfactant. Okay. okay. You know what? Methylated seed oil is
3: considered a non ionic surfactant, Ryan. Fair point.
1: And also,
0: I think, uh, if, I think Jesse, Jesse Busquet could argue that in court.
1: You'd yeah. You're right. And if you are applying. A measured quantity of methylated seed oil as in keeping it at 0.5 to 1 percent of the total spray solution Mm -hmm. then you should have zero issues tank mixing methylated seed oil with tenacity and by the way I, i tank mix methylated seed oil and tenacity together all the time
0: and I've done a I lot, no, too, and never never had an issue.
1: Yeah, never had a problem, because you see, that hesitation or that resistance stems from the people that not only are averse to measuring their herbicides, they're also averse to measuring their surfactants. They want to measure by the 2 glug method. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, boy. <laughs> all right uh, uh let's see here um let me see okay i just see we got that one already ted patterson zoysia zone 7b nor norprodiamine makes a dent and poannua do you think one would work another group one i'm trying to avoid spectacle flow because of the money any thoughts thanks so we just kind of cover this on, um, on, on zoysia, where would you be Ray? is, uh, let me ask you this, and this is mm-hmm. to help for my pea brain when it comes to, uh, you know, warm season and different species and everything like that. Are you more or less concerned on using spectacle as a single or split app in the fall on zoysia or Bermuda Are the, 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 the butt clenching the same for both species?
1: Actually, uh, I find that Zoisha is rather tolerant because of its even deeper rhizomes, uh-huh. but okay. For answering Ted's question, if the price of spectacle is making his uh, you know sphincter you know clench, then he's left with applying either atrazine or simazine with monument. However, okay. you know you know here's my problem with that tank mix. By the time you add up what the two
3: separate herbicides come out to,
1: you just bought a spectacle app. <laughs> you know, so what I'd like to kind of encourage people to do is save your tethered and your Prodiamine for your spring and summer goosegrass and crabgrass control, but think about other possibilities for their fall pool management program in their Bermuda and Zoysia. Think about something else, and you know what? I find that the low rates of spectacle applied as a split app are not bank breakers. At all, I mean, I know you look at that eighteen ounce uh, little white bottle, or else heaven forbid that one gallon bottle for about fourteen hundred dollars
0: higher, but yeah, and you're
1: thinking, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, but then typical use rates are three to four ounces per application applied twice, 30 days apart in the fall that is your spectacle application program and when you break it down like that i look at that uh 18 ounce uh spectacle bottle and i'm thinking oh my i can cover some acreage with this thing and then with the uh one gallon bottle i'm thinking ah yeah this is enough to spray the entire state of hawaii with that gallon so there, <laughs> you know not 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 the worst possible thing in the world yeah price wise no
0: no and i think that's the thing is that it's i i think the difference is it's hard to stomach for homeowners looking at that you know whatever it is 260 70 80 90 dollars for the 18 ounce bottle and knowing that they'll never ever get their way through it so until Mm. um you know ron henry or Alan Hayne co-ops it and starts selling that out of the back of a pickup truck somewhere along the highway rest stop. <laughs> probably, probably see if having the hand ringing about when it comes to buying this stuff. So I get it. Yeah. I get it. So.
1: Yeah. 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 And, uh, the, the thing about spectacle is spectacle is also a very good product for places besides the lawn. Like, I happen to like uh, Spectacle for driveways and rock beds and around landscaping as well. I mean, it's a very good product for that too. It's also a very good product for non-crop areas and residential areas. Hmm. It's a very good product because... Do you know why I like Spectacle? It, does not, me, kill, it does not kill trees.
3: It doesn't kill trees.
1: Like, for example, if you were to spray spectacle and glyphosate in your driveway to inhibit weed growth coming through the the gravel or the the sand base, Mm -hmm. it is not going to then move off to the side and then kill your trees and then your neighbor's trees like some of the other common non-crop herbicides likely would. You know, it's very safe in that aspect because i think that i've heard yeah yeah because i've I've heard horror stories about people grabbing a bottle of something that says season-long control of vegetation they apply that to their driveway and four months later all the trees along their driveway are dead and the trees in their neighbor's yard, on the other side of that fence, are also dying. I mean,
3: I've I've heard of that happening. <laughs> so
2: yeah,
0: it's looking uh, for as little collateral damage as possible. I think that's the other reason. Yeah, of putting the right stuff into homeowners' hands. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's see here. Mm-hmm. Okay, Todd ask. Todd S. asks, what about cool Mm -hmm. season? Had tons of poa this year, thinking maybe ethylfumisate. Okay. Uh, You really, really need to identify what grasses you currently have in your lawn uh, that -hmm. are desirable before Mm -hmm. you go down this road. Uh, It can Mm -hmm. be a highly effective tool, especially in the fall. Two apps in the fall, one app in the spring. It can really, really, really clean some stuff up. However, it can also roast some shit right ray yep i mean because uh todd the one time
1: when i tell people not to do estafimusate is if fine fescue is a desirable species in your lawn then i would advise people to reconsider estafimusate but if ryegrass is a desirable species if Turf type tall fescue is a desirable species, then by all means, ethofumisate is an appropriate option for this. By all, absolutely. But you have to make sure that the desired species in your lawn includes the species that are listed on that ethofumisate label as being tolerant because. Ryan, I caught that black box warning on the esophimusate uh, label regarding both fine fescue and zoysia. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: it'll be them up. That it'll beat them w- up
1: pretty good. Yeah, well, it, it'll cause such horrific damage that I Gumber consider Yeah, the kind of uh, herbicide that you use when, for example, say... Zoisha or fine fescue are not desirable species in your lawn. <laughs> that's okay. It's <that's> definitely
0: <laughs> one way of looking at it. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Let's jump down here. All right. Lawn radiance is sp- if spraying uh, dormant beetle with glyphosate. What soil? Air temperatures are too low where the weeds are not affected by glyphosate application. Um, I mean, I can speak a little bit on this. I'm I don't know that it, it freezes too often in Honolulu where Ray has to deal with this, but I can tell you that uh sixty degrees is sort of a uh a, a fail-safe um, mm-hmm. beacon in terms of uh if we have dormant Bermuda grass but we we get temperatures in the you know fifties and sixties, great data spray because you're gonna be able to translocate more of that herbicide into your uh, weeds, your cool season grasses that are weeds at that time. So you'll see people that are spraying, um, you know, when it's like damn near freezing outside and things like that, like you can do it, but Mm -hmm. your efficacy on that herbicide, uh, is, is not as good. The other thing too, you have to understand is that we try to lower our rates down. Uh, you'll see people go up to two quarts per acre, but, uh, most times it's going to be a one quart per acre application in which case like you really need your plants taking that up for it to be worth any anything in terms of efficacy. So, uh, you know, in a home on situation and it's one single app and that's all you have to worry about, it makes it a little bit easier, you know, you can time it up around that January thaw or something like that when, you know, there's no snow on the ground and you get those warmer temperatures uh for a day or two. Uh the only thing that I've seen that can be a challenge in those situations particularly Uh, Midwest transition zone is usually the days that it's really really warm in the wintertime. It's also really really windy. We get a lot of winds out of the south and southwest pushing that warm air up here, so it can be challenged to spray and not hit something else that you don't want to get uh, non-selective on. So just keep that in mind. Uh, You know, go out in the morning, do things like that. But for the most part, I think that that uh, warmer, you know, slightly warmer for especially for winter, uh, where lawn radiance is over there in Nebraska. You know, he should have less uh, of an issue in terms of having a day that's 50 or 60 degrees and being able to spray in the wintertime so shoot for those days i think you'd be better off right anything to add
1: not really i mean that's just uh good ad- good advice is that target those 60 to 65 degree days after the bermuda has browned out and stopped growing i mean that's just good advice
3: overall ah, damn. <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> all right uh all right. let's see here okay jason mt asks us uh have you guys tried little leaf if so thoughts mainly around pre-gr so uh i had to go look this up little leaf is actually kind of like a Greenkeeper app like a, a very stripped down one which is fine because you know um you know bill croiser has built um built Greenkeeper into something that is a, it's a monster. It's, it's a really, really cool program. And when I say monster, I do not mean anything Mm. bad. I mean that there's a lot of features on there. And so (laughs) I know that there was some consternation when they switched to a paid only model and some homeowners got left behind. I think that uh, just what I saw here from little leaf and I registered for an account real quick and kind of went through it. I I think it'd be perfect for a homeowner. I think it's a really, really good tool, you know, track your growing degree days and make sure that you're, um within your windows in terms of rebound and things like that and certainly as you're getting comfortable with pgr it's sort of uh you know a uh speedometer and odometer in that sense right like so your growth potential being your speedometer and your growing degree days being the odometer like how far we've gone before we need to fill up or whatever right so just think of it like that and uh use that to your advantage if you're getting going on pgr it sounds a little bit over the top and maybe a little bit confusing we've had several episodes where we've talked about it. I couldn't tell you which ones, though, because we've done so many fucking episodes, it's hard to keep track.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. I wasn't trying to be condescending. It's just like there's a lot. There's a lot of content. Yeah. But someday yeah. we're going to pay like a virtual assistant to go through and categorize this and chapter everything. Or maybe we'll just have AI do it all. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. We'll have JPink look into that see what you do <laughs> all right chuck benzing what's up chuck uh happy birthday ray there you go uh question for both of you running do erase your irrigation three minute zone for schedule with fertigation pump switched off okay to switch on and add man's eight tick to the tank so he Ooh. is basically saying hey can i run Ooh. some mancozeb through my fertigation <laughs> pump chuck I, I, I'm going to tell you what, I'm a pretty aggressive individual. You know me. That's that's probably a bridge too far for me. I'd rather see you spray that, quite honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, mainly, mainly just for the fact that um, I understand it would be very easy to do, very simple to do, but I don't know that you would get the benefit from it that you think you would. And I think you'd be, you know, one, pissing money down the drain, and two, just from an efficacy standpoint, I don't think it's there. I don't think, uh, Ray, you might know this. I mean, is, is mancozeb in general, and I don't know that product right off the top of my head, that label, but is mancozeb uh, allowed by the label to be applied through a fertigation system? A lot of, uh, you know, there's. I can't think of each individual product, but I know there's a lot that are not allowed to be okay. applied through a fertigation system.
1: I, at one time, I've seen it for egg crops, and maybe sod farms. But I haven't seen it allowed through golf turf or commercial landscape turf. I mean, that's just the you know, what I've seen, although the labels have changed. And I'm pretty sure that EPA has even clamped down on sending things through fertigation systems.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty I mean, sure a, of it. What was that? Uh you might not even remember. I mean, they do not even came up to why. Do you remember Bioject? hmm
3: This yeah. is like
0: 25 or more. Well, no, uh, Dave. Uh, I can't remember Dave Heinlein, right? He he did an episode with us. He was a bioject sales rep mm-hmm. way back in the nineties for golf courses. So there was this whole thing where uh you buy you bought bugs in a jug. Uh, and this was mm-hmm. pre-internet somewhere uh ron henry and all the other um uh turf jesus neophytes are are creaming on their pants to hear about this but there was literally a, a company that built their idea that you'd buy bugs in a jug and you'd put that and inject mm-hmm. that into your irrigation water mm-hmm. and normally on a golf course in a in a summer setting in the northeast midwest i mean an average irrigation cycle is going to be somewhere around uh, 600,000 to a million gallons of water in a night mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. drip these things in there through the fertigation and that would magically clear up like dollar spot and brown patch and all this other stuff and people bought it man like it's just it's amazing to watch some of the stuff uh, and, and here's the thing it just this is a good segue into Chuck answer, quick answer to your question is no don't do that Um, but to editorialize here for a second the reason that Ray and Matt and I get so charged up about some of this stuff. Some of it's fucking stupid It's just, you know, it's dumb that people are, you know, asking or saying that they should do something or pontificating on things or whatever. And, you know, we get a lot of heat for that, but there are a lot of things where we've just seen this cycle of things that have been in vogue and the cool thing to do and everything like that. And we rip on it because, you know, Oh, it was cool 25 years ago and it flamed out for a reason. And, You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. maybe there's some new technology, new research, everything that backs it up, but many times there's just not. It just comes back and churns back in the marketing mix and people eat it up again because it's a fresh and clear message that we've heard multiple times before. So while we sound like jaded old curmudgeons and pieces of shit, I promise you we're not. We're just experienced and chiseled veterans. So with that being said, Let's flip over here to Garden Earth guy. He says the best way to handle Fipronil apps on records for spot usage. Ooh, I don't really have to deal with this much, right? Do you make several spot treatments on a lawn and only sell one blanket application per year? Ray, why don't you dive in on this? No, I I don't do it. And furthermore,
1: if you're applying, well,
3: well, yeah,
1: Fipronil,
0: yeah, what if are you're people applying Fipronil?
1: What are, Let me the, explain why.
0: Why would you apply why they're doing. what is thipronil? Because other p- folks might not know. <clears throat> and then talk about Gardner's question because I think it's a good one about how to price it and how to record it, more importantly. Okay. Okay.
1: Because here's why somebody would be applying thipronil to a turf grass or landscape area this is for either mole cricket or fire ant control. Those are the two labeled uses for. Fipronil granule and furthermore Fipronil granule when it's labeled for application to a landscape or turf area is a federal restricted use pesticide and on that the label is the law literally with special provisions to ensure that all parts of that label are complied with. And so when somebody said spot application, Ryan, my spidey senses went off. And do you know why my spidey senses went off?
0: I was going to say something about Sheila, but it would have been very inappropriate. Go on.
1: (laughs) It is because fipronil granule Is specifically labeled for one broadcast application to an area per year. Mm.
3: That is the label. And I
1: cannot imagine how to circumvent that label without having my personals put into the deli slicer. Because you see, folks. When you are non-compliant with the pesticide label, you're essentially violating federal law. And so when you're violating federal law, at the local level, the state Department of Agriculture or Environmental Department may elect to enforce that law. However, In cases where they've decided that you have willfully violated the law, what can happen is your entire case can be turned over to the federal EPA. The state has very little to do with it other than provide the EPA a venue in which to try your case. In other words, violating the pesticide law on the label and then having the EPA called in means that you are sitting in federal court in your state
3: to have your case adjudicated. How's that, Ryan?
0: Uh, it's probably no bueno for a lot of people. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody that wishes they were there, but, uh, you know, it could happen. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's
3: see here. All right.
0: All right. So Eric Sands. Uh, mm-hmm. He's got one that says I often hear non ionic surfactant. Are there scenarios where an anionic or cat- cationic surfactant would be desired? If it also acts as a penetrant, would the polarity of the surfactant have an impact? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I've never okay. thought about that uh, that deeply. I, I, uh,
1: no, I, I understand something about anionic surfactants. You know, for a lot of pesticides and products, anionic surfactants will literally tear apart and degrade the pesticide molecule. That is why, you know, in tank neutralizer products, Mm -hmm. they have a lot of anionic surfactants plus an alkaline. And you know what the purpose of that is? Is so that You go flush out your sprayer with that tank neutralizer mix. And between the anionic surfactant and and the uh, alkali, that basically takes apart whatever's in your sprayer and allows you to flush it out. So, and then speaking of cationic compounds, here's a cationic compound
3: for you, Diquat. It is Uh, actually a cation. Really? Yeah, it's a cation. Mm -hmm. And so, if you have
1: something like diquat, that is where they get extremely specific and they call for a non-ionic surfactant only because other types of surfactants will interfere with the efficacy of that diquat.
3: Did not know that. See,
0: even we learn stuff up here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's see here. Matt D. Ask, what soil temp does KB or Kentucky? I don't think he said KGB. I think he was uh, influenced by my FSB comment at the top of the show. Oh, right, right, Matt, right, right. Matt, if you're safe, blink once. Uh, <laughs> and if you're being forced to say that communism is the way, uh, blink twice. Well, no. Uh, let's see here. At What soil temp does Kentucky bluegrass start to rebound from summer heat exclamation point? Uh, well, I can tell you that, uh, I, I think it's more of a function of, uh, two things. One soil temperatures, right. Uh, is going to be a critical factor because, you know, above, uh, you know, you're probably soil temperatures right now. We're going to have this week right here, uh, in cool season territory, definitely in the nineties to upper nineties for sure. Uh, for G- soil Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's going to be heavy duty here for sure. So, uh in that sense, you know, we need root te- or uh, soil temperatures to go down so that roots can be in a conducive environment for growth. The other thing that we mm-hmm. know about ambient air temperatures on cool season grasses is that above about 86 degrees Fahrenheit that most physiological processes either stop or begin to slow down greatly, right? So, uh photosynthesis, uh, respiration, we would go into the whole thing, but basically photorespiration is when the plant is consuming more uh, food than it can produce through photosynthesis, right? And that's what happens in cent- situations when we get above those temperatures. So if you can imagine, right, you're already in, a, in an environment where the roots are challenged, right, because of high soil temperatures. At the same time, based on ambient air temperatures, the plant is growing itself so much and slowing its physiological process down so much that on the, it's kind of pushing and pulling itself at the same time, right? So that, those carbohydrate reserves that have been built up in those roots over time begin to shrink, 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 shrink. Plus, you're cooking those roots in really, really hot soil that causes them to slough off and die as well. So, you're in a situation where that goes awry. That being said, once we get into more favorable temperatures, uh, so you know, daytime highs that are back below that 86 degree mark, which it looks like here, uh, at least in my part of the country, in the central part of the Midwest, Saturday, you know, uh, we go from 95 on friday to 78 for a high on saturday according to the forecast so we should get through this heat stretch and be okay i think you'll see stuff come back the biggest thing too that i see from a recovery standpoint recuperative potential on Kentucky bluegrass not so much even on temperatures too but if you're not irrigated is definitely especially once you get into um you know better weather right where that uh, those plants can recover is make sure you water and try to get the uh moisture back in there right so um, Kentucky bluegrass is very, very quick to go dormant quickly. It's, it's uh, drought avoidance mechanism that it uses. Uh, and so if you can get water back into that plant, rehydrate it, it should do fine here once we get through this heat. So if you are irrigated, just be careful, make sure you don't overdo it, uh, because wet soils are going to heat up faster and stay hot longer, uh, if they're too, too wet. So Matt, way too much information for your simple little question. That's why we're here. All right. <laughs> Gardener earth guy. Right. Anything to add on the on the uh, either Kentucky bluegrass or the KGB?
1: Well, and start yelling for help when they try to uh, stuff you into that black van. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, um, if if anybody had it on their bingo card to die of a heart attack while falling out of a third story window, well, this question might help you.
2: All right. Uh, <laughs> let's sure.
0: see here. Uh, gardener earth guy do cool season people use over the top we control like certainty <gasps> uh,
1: <sighs> not certainty on cool season damn
0: uh, no there was a period though where it was labeled. let me see if i can find that old a certainty
1: wasn't that for poor triv at yeah. like really low rates but they found out that even at that low rate Kentucky bluegrass had a 50 50 chance of being taken out with it.
0: I, I think what they found was that the uh, one, the cultivar tolerances were so widely different on Kentucky bluegrass that it wasn't safe. And two, mm-hmm. that the weather conditions necessary were so narrow for it specific, to work. Specific, yeah. 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 So it's,
1: specific. It's, I mean, it's, so it's no. just not. <laughs>
0: Well and and it's like anything is uh it, you know typically we'd want to use that to um you know take out like what Ray was saying, quack grass, maybe poetry, things like that, and um the reality is that especially in cool season, taking one grass out of another grass through chemical methods is really 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 uh on a a, a very razor's edge thin margin, mm-hmm. there. and mm-hmm. uh, you don't see it too often and the The ones that you do see, for example, like Poakure that's out right now that's only labeled for golf courses, only ever will be labeled for golf courses. They have no as far as I know no uh, desire to make it available for sports turf or for uh especially residential because the, the cost of bears too great. That being said is that uh it is very gentle at the what it does if you have tolerant turf grass to it so uh and it's also extremely expensive so yeah. The idea that you can take those out chemically, I think in a lot of cases, your best bet from a homeowner standpoint, spray out your lawn, start over. Sounds like a lot, and it is, but it's better than trying to, you know, spend a lot of money on herbicide and fuck it up 9.8 times out of 10. (laughs) All right, let's see here. Eric Sands again. Uh Hey, Eric. Herbicide labels often list a number of weeds if controlled. How can the rate of efficacy be found? How many apps required for maximum control and what conditions, incre- conditions increase or decrease efficacy? Eric is in cool season country. I'm going to send him Purdue. Let me see here. The control guide. So we control professionals 2023. Jay Pink, let me send you this link. If you'll put this in the chat and also uh, post this in our Discord. So I've uh, talked about this before absolutely uh, without question probably the best publication right now for up-to-date information on all those questions that you just asked about Eric so conditions that make control uh, increased or decreased uh, uh, the correct products for the correct weed um, different things around certain weeds and control and timing and things like that so I highly encourage you to get this I think you can get this for $20 as a hardbound or uh, paperback uh, that gets sent to your house and I think they also still have the PDF version. Uh, so this is the Turfgrass Weed Control for Professionals 2023 edition. Uh, check that out. There you go. PDF download as well. I think it's only like 12 bucks. I get nothing out of this. Ray gets nothing out of this. Matt gets absolutely nothing out of this mm-hmm. because remember, he's on PTO, folks. He's off the reservation. He's fine. You uh, get the commission <laughs> if there was any, but there's not. Yeah. Uh, but fucked. I highly... In- yeah, that's right. I highly encourage you mm-hmm. to check this out if you're in cool season country. The best and most important, uh, $20 or $12 investment you can make in yourself. I like the PDF version, right? Because I can put it on my phone and I can just kind of search through if I want to know about, you know, dandelion or uh, pigweed or whatever, pop that up and you can mm-hmm. see all that stuff. The charts in it are really good. I don't want to flash up uh, pages from it because obviously it's a, uh, a, a, a for-profit endeavor for them to make some money back on it. So please check that out. Well worth your time. Well worth your money on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Going back. Oh, busy bees lawn care. Green Doc, it's your birthday. What are we going to cook for that? Yeah, so right, what is on the menu tonight? Besides say besides the other pink meat outside of salmon.
1: Mm, let's see. Twenty-four ounce ribeye.
0: Jeez. Ha 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 ha.
1: Ah. Ray is going for new heights
0: and triglycerides and cholesterol as he enters year 51 on this earth. So, uh, we should, but you, all know, what the, you know what the, you
1: know, you know what the irony is, Ryan, what? I don't have a problem with my cholesterol or tri- triglycerides.
0: I don't, well, I, I don't, I don't think you would, you have, I, I believe that you have, uh, the metabolism of an Ethiopian distance runner and therefore you can eat whatever the hell you want on your birthday, Ray. And any other day for that matter. <laughs> Uh speaking of yeah. which, uh Bliplop Ride has asked uh if you had to choose, would you go with uh for dessert pecan pie or banana pudding? Pecan pie, all the way. All right. And if you if, if there was one dessert to end all desserts for you on your birthday ray, what would you choose?
3: Ooh. Apple cobbler. Apple oh. cobbler.
0: All right. Yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> can get down with that all right let's see here eric b and Jay pink i'm assuming you get these pictures queued up uh i think this eric was trying to ask a question in the chat earlier and he emailed in so hey guys north texas purview the first pick is in june second pitch pick is current any reason to think it's something besides the heat and for those of you again scoring at home it has been hotter than fucking Hades in north texas here uh, as of late and very dry too my concern is uh it follows the drainage thanks for your help all right well, let's dive in here and take a little bit of a look. That's the June. Is that the June photo? Or is that the now photo? I think that's Second is June.
3: Is Second mm-hmm. is current. Are we sure about that? The way it's sent? Yeah. JP?
0: Well, it looks like, looks like there's a swale there. Okay, no idea. I'm thinking that the worst one is probably current. Uh, and mm-hmm. Eric, if you're still around the chat, if you can confirm, I'm guessing it looks worse now than it did before. And,
2: uh,
3: let's see here. No. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah. Earth guy wants to know if that's the septic tank. Hard to tell. Uh, that is a really weird spot. Mm hmm. I, I, i I'm,
3: It is really
0: yeah, I, like the, the margins on that I mean it's okay. circular but you don't see margins that clean in uh in nature is all I'm going to say.
1: Yeah, I mean I would be looking at foreign objects under the turf. I would also be looking at irrigation coverage. Because you see the sprinklers that he has running in the in the lawn right now, Ryan? Mhm. Those are notorious for shitty coverage in residential lawns.
3: <laughs> that could be that okay. too.
1: Yeah, I mean so there there's many factors
3: to you know chase down
1: and rule out because like when I see single stream rotors in a residential lawn, nine times out of ten, Ryan I'm pulling them. They're gone.
3: Really? Yeah. I pull them. How come? Uh,
1: bad coverage, especially when you try to make a rotor cover an area less than 40 to 50 feet.
0: Okay. So what do okay. you I going mean? Because MP rotators or what?
1: mp rotators the lar- the larger versions of the mp rotators like the ones that cover a 30 foot radius because you see what i typically see happening and what i can see from this picture is these single stream rotors are spaced approximately 30 feet apart i can Those tell look
0: like a this definitely looks like the uh you know the in Eric, I'm not being critical of you, so don't take it that way. But you know, you ask the irrigation guys out for an estimate, and there's people that bid it to do it right, and there's people that bid it to win the work, and this looks like a bid it to win the work type of design, doesn't it, Ray?
1: Mm-hmm. You called it, Ryan. I mean, and uh this is a case of again, I have nothing against single stream rotors, but If they're going to be done, I want them to be installed in such a way that they work. You know, it's uh, because, like I said, I'm seeing, like,
3: potential coverage problems. Because,
1: man, you know when you have single stream rotors, they are, like, dependent on a very strict, square or triangular spacing pattern and if you deviate from that strict square or triangular space pattern bad things happen
3: don't they
0: well and i think that's the thing is that distribution uniformity coverage everything like that so it could be i i tell eric hey stick a shovel in the ground in the spot right on the margin and further find the, out, yeah, the bad f- area see what you got yeah, find out what's under it yeah and
1: so what's going means. on there. And also
0: run those irrigation heads and uh do a quick audit. Make sure that everything's turning and spinning, everything like that, but also to uh make sure that uh each head is putting out the same amount of water. Uh start with the basics, then go up from there. i mm-hmm. Wish I could tell you, you know, mm-hmm. it's some you know, uh new and uh rampant venereal disease or something like that. But unfortunately <laughs> you can't do that from a photograph. So yeah. Ooh, have to we, yeah, we in can't personal. tell. All right. Yeah, we LeBlanc can't Bride, tell. Any, and... <laughs> oh, go ahead. Okay. Anything to kill common Bermuda and cool season grass. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. So depending on what your cool season grass is, uh, Pilux, uh you can go with uh, Fusillade. If you've got Fescue uh, and <laughs> don't mind a l- little bit of injury, you'll see a little bit probably. Um, and other than that, triclopyr. you know, adding, adding in, uh can help as well, but, uh, you're, it's going to be a, a sustained effort, I guess is the best way of saying it is that, uh, I've never, ever seen in areas here in a array. Uh, first time anybody had seen it, but, uh, well, first time anybody had seen it in such a wide scale up uh north mm. in uh cleveland area which is much much colder than columbus much colder than cincinnati so um common bermuda out there living and thriving in, wow. in pretty large areas not just like a single plant but like a lot so like i think it, that the, yeah, the, like, the the pilex route can work but you have to understand especially if you're in a lawn care situation you're a you're a provider that is not just a hey we're going to price this for one app and be done like this is going to be Probably a 3 year deal this year as a yeah, program gonna... and continue on until forever. Probably, you know, Ryan,
3: uh,
1: what I've heard of doing well is, for example, applying a combination of Pylex, Acclaim,
3: and Triclopyr in okay. late summer, you know, late summer. Right before fall, just hammer it.
1: However, this tank mix is not cheap, and also this tank mix requires sequential applications. Uh-huh. But you know what the good part is? It What's absolutely that? smokes most other grassy and broadleaf weeds, that much triclopyr and acclaim and pilots. Mm-hmm. I mean, Maybe. that just is, you know, bad news for those weeds.
0: <laughs> it's handy to have around for sure.
1: Yeah. It's a tool right. in the toolbox. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it is a tool in the toolbox. So I think we're going to take our last few questions here. Uh, let's see uh-huh. here. Tony Tillman, what is the uh-huh. best preventative approach for Pythia? What temperature conditions are required for recovery? All right. And then Frank and Law just asked our last question. So, um, So for Tony best preventative strategy for pythium assuming that we're not talking cool season uh you know first thing is let's just start with the uh the cultural things right so uh understanding what grasses you have and that uh, pythium is uh what's known as omnivorous right so it will attack basically any species if the conditions are right however there are uh certain species particularly perennial ryegrass uh grass, poa I'll fescue to a certain degree, and then particular grass like they're all susceptible, but um you know you're gonna see it in pretty much any cool season grass warm season grass is a little bit different uh that being said uh as far as strategies, one uh when your humidity is up, right, so when you're talking about uh daytime relative humidity uh in the uh, say like fifty percent range um definitely you do not need to be watering as much as you think you do i would i would encourage you to cut your watering back by like 75% and you're probably going to be just fine because the grass and the soil is not losing nearly as much water through evaporative transpiration right evapotranspiration other thing there too is that as you get um you know temperatures uh, up higher higher those situations especially nighttime temperatures so if your nighttime temperatures are over 75 degrees for sure if they're over 70 i'd really really think about it again back off your watering mm. more than you think you need to okay just spot water mm-hmm. you know if you can if you have an irrigation system just turn on the zones you need to take a hose out there and just soak the spots that are along the curb or something like that that's really dry but otherwise leave it alone so those are cultural things from a chemical control standpoint phosphate should always be your first defense. again we talked about this earlier in the show uh there mm-hmm. is no risk whatsoever um no risk whatsoever of building up resistance or anything like that to using phosphite. It's a simple application. You're probably talking at a high label rate and you, and, and and here's the other thing too, is that uh, people will say that their phosphite products, the best virtually all the research uh, that's out there shows that phosphite products are pretty much the same when it comes to it. Now you'll have some that are uh, derived with urea, right? Right. And they'll have a nitrogen load. You need to be careful with those of juicing things up a little bit yes. too much, but for the most part, your phosphate products are all going to be the same. That all being said, you, you, if you get on a, a program there where you're about every seven to 10 days in high pressure situations, so again, nighttime temperatures at or above 70 degrees, relative humidity during the day in the 40s uh, to 50s especially, go ahead and make those applications every seven to 10 days. It's a good preventative and should keep you clean in most situations. If you need to, you should have in your back pocket, if you do end up seeing a break uh, a breakout and you have had history or incidents of pythium before, Ray, I would say that for the average homeowner, having a quart or half gallon or whatever the smallest size is of methanoxum, also known as subdue as his trade name, uh, would be a wise thing to have if you have a breakout, because then you can at least knock down what's there, prevent for at least a period of another seven to ten days with chemical means and no no longer the phosphate means uh of stopping uh that from happening. As far as uh recovery, and I think that's what another question Tony had was Temperature and conditions for recovery. Uh, And Jay Pink has told me that uh, I've got a note coming to me in my ear from the producer. That's fancy. It's actually not. He just texted me it. That's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But he has turf-type tall fescue, cool season. So uh, your recovery is going to be such that you're going to need to probably reseed those areas because you're not going to tiller out sufficiently to cover back in that damage because, again, uh, turf-type tall fescue being a bunch of grass, one seed equals one plant really not a whole lot of recuperative potential for that to kind of close back up, seal that off. So if you do have widespread damage, rake it out, go ahead and toss some seed, a little bit of soil, cover it up, pat it down, just like you're uh, fixing a divot on a golf course. Go mm-hmm. on your way. Ray, anything to add there on in your terms way. of control and or recovery?
1: Not really. Other than also the best preventative or the best cure for Pissium is a very... Aware and alert prevention program. I mean, because you know which lawns I tag as being pithium prone. Mm. The ones that have restricted air movement and
0: sunlight. A great point. A great point. You know, I mean, I have areas. I mean, I I
1: tag, I tag those, and those are the ones where I advise people: hey, be very thoughtful of how much and how often this gets irrigated and also be thoughtful of how much coverage your trees provide as far as shading goes because I rarely see piscian become damaging in full sun open air
3: areas you know rarely
0: yeah that's that's true and i think too the other thing awesome points and and rate to that to further that point in low-lying areas right so uh yes where areas where the water drains water drains because the spores of this uh, of of pythium are moved or motile is what they call it moved by water Mm -hmm. right so flowing water Mm -hmm. you usually see uh pythium follow the drainage pattern so anyway All that being said, let's see here. Last question coming in from Frankenlawn. have been trying to kill Dallas grass with Celsius, certainty, and MSO. Not too effective. Mm -hmm. Am I breeding Mm -hmm. a more robust Dallas grass? Is Tribute Total any better? Is Glyphosate Fluoxapure MSA and MSM my only option? Holy fuck. Okay. Jesus. Ray. (laughs) (laughs) That's...
1: Dang. Dang.
0: Because... (laughs)
1: Okay, here's what I like, knew about uh, Magic fighting. Johnson
0: finding out he's allergic to penicillin.
1: Yeah, because you know, when dealing with something like Dallas Grass, unfortunately I cannot offer or suggest something that does not involve 4M sulfuron, also known as either revolver, or as the premix called tribute total. I I don't have any good ideas that don't involve that particular herbicide. And
3: because one more thing, whoever told
1: you to put certainty on Dallas grass, that's not the best idea. I save certainty for nutsedge and kylinga. I don't put it on grassy weeds. Not in a warm season region.
0: Kelly wants to know uh, if Revolver and Quicksilver will take it out, take out Dallas grass.
1: I don't think so. Might not take it out, but it'll give it a hell of a headache. Yeah. you know, It'll be like yellowed and fried for quite a while. I mean, <laughs> that's a good thing. But then the proven combination has always been Revolver, Celsius, AMS, and nestulated seed oil as the surfactant. That's the proven combo. (laughs) All
0: right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we answered quite a few here on your lawn soil questions, and we want to thank everybody. And if you want to ask more questions of us, uh, involve yourself in uh, discussions with other like-minded, smart individuals, way smarter than me, uh, and Ray. (laughs) You can uh, join mm-hmm. us on our private Discord server and our community. Uh, you can go check that out at Burn and return. I think I put an HW in there. Burn and return. Oh, uh, Jesus, I really fucked that all up. Let me start over again <laughs> www.patreon.com forward slash burn and return. And you can talk to people definitely smarter than me, no doubt about it. And if you don't like us, Spencer, what do you think about us? <laughs> Aww. You are a th- fucking pussy. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> well, anyway, get fucked. It was good night. To- yeah, get fucked. That's right. <laughs> All right, J Pink, play us out with uh, something, something fun, a, a good uh, smattering of uh, of soundboard effects there, and uh, we'll go on into the night. And thanks everybody for joining us here. We'll be back. Yeah, on thank you everybody. Thursday night. Happy birthday, Ray. Surprise, motherfucker. Thanks, Ryan. Get fucked. Get fucked. All right.